0: size Birthday Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, October 25th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Chief Funmilayo Kuti. She was born on this day in 1900. Chief Funmilayo Kuti was a glorious tree who produced equally glorious fruit. Her children are all amazingly accomplished and educated and successful icons in their respective fields. Her son, Oli Khoi, is a pediatrician and the health minister of Nigeria. Her son, Fila, is a composer and a political activist and one of the pioneers of Afrobeat music. Her son, Beko, is a doctor and a human rights activist. Even her nieces and nephews and grandchildren are just incredible humans. Her grandsons, Fimi and Suan, are successful musicians, and her great-nephew, Wole, was the first sub-Saharan African to be awarded a Nobel Prize in literature. Like, this whole family is a steady in living life to its absolute fullest. But however gorgeous and glorious the fruit, today we are going to honor the tree that made it all possible. Funmalayo was born Francis Abigail Olofunmilayo Thomas in Abiokuta in southwest Nigeria. Her father was Chief Daniel Olomiwa Thomas, an aristocrat who worked in palm production, and her mother was dressmaker Lucretia Phyllis Omieni Adosulu. Like most of the world, education back then was seen as a boy's prerogative, but thankfully her parents were super progressive, and she was one of the first group of six girls to attend Abiyokota Grammar School in 1914, the first year it became co-ed. She would attend for five years before moving to finishing school in England in 1919. During her three years there, she learned French and music and dressmaking and elocution. These were all considered the staples of proper womanhood. While she was there, she switched from her Christian birth name and began to just go by Funmulayo. She returned to Abiokuta and she began a career as a teacher. Two years later, she married school principal and minister Israel Olodonton Ransomkuti. He was a descendant of the prestigious political Ransomkuti family, widely known for its outstanding contributions to medicine, art, and education. Israel and Funmulayo had an incredible love and respect for each other, and their marriage would last 30 happy years until Israel's death from cancer in 1955. Funmulayo stopped teaching after they were married, but never wanted to stay idle. She founded one of the first preschools in Nigeria, as well as several women's clubs, one of which was aimed at teaching illiterate women to read. And it was during this time that the family had a car shipped over from England. This made Funmulayo the very first woman in the history of her city to drive. One of the clubs that she started was called the Abiyokuta Ladies Club. It was originally centered around charity work and sewing and adult education, which were all seen as acceptable activities for women, but it began to take a political turn as Funmalayo started to see in her work with illiterate women just what glaring inequalities there were between the genders, especially their ability to access education. She understood that her own privileged background had allowed her access to superior education that the average Nigerian woman just couldn't access. And she began grassroots campaigns to stop the normalized mistreatment of women, including a successful campaign to stop the police from raiding and looting from women who were selling rice in the market. In 1946, she changed the name of the organization to the Abiokota Women's Union, and they narrowed their focus for a bit to the financial abuses that market women were facing from corrupt local authorities. At this point, the AWU was 20,000 strong with an additional 100,000 community supporters. The first big hurdle was to tackle the openly sexist practice of charging women selling items in the market an additional gender tax payable to the market supervisor. This was on top of the income tax and the water tax that they already had to pay. The town of Abiokuta was ruled by Alak Adimola II, who thanks to indirect rule had become part of the colonial administration. Indirect rule was essentially a system of governance in their protectorate states in which a selected official who was responsive to colonial instruction was placed in power as a puppet ruler. Alak Adamola II had started all of these gender taxes because he was a jerk, and Funmolayo wanted him out of power, so she appealed to the British authorities – they ignored her, so the AWU started putting open calls for justice into the local papers and circulating pamphlets. They refused to pay taxes, and they staged vigils and parades outside of Ademola's palace. They even upped their demands, adding that women needed to be represented on the executive councils. Ademola was getting very irritated at these women that kept setting up camp in front of his palace, demanding to be treated like humans. So he issued laws banning women from congregating in parades or for demonstrations, And Malayo was like, oh, did I say demonstration? Picnic, I meant picnic. This is a picnic with me and 10,000 of my friends. Let's see you ban picnics, you jackass. So the picnics were up to 10,000 women and they kept happening. And the police started to show up and tear gas the women. Malayo made it a practice to instruct all new members on how to deal with tear gas. And they were not very receptive to the demands of the AWU. And in one instance, a police officer told Malayo to shut up. And she snapped back with, you may have been born, but you were not bred. It was during this time that the media dubbed her the Lioness of Lizabi. Lizabi being the traditional hero of the Igba people. And by early 1948, tensions were at a peak. Adamola said that these women were vipers that cannot be tamed damn straight, and banned Malayo from entering the palace for political meetings. The AWU blocked the palace doors and Malayo got into a scuffle with a British officer as she tried to grab his steering wheel and he had to literally pull her fingers off the steering wheel to get away. The public was beginning to get behind the AWU at this point. So Adimola acquiesced a bit, and he removed the women-only market tax, and he assigned someone to investigate their other demands. He ended up abdicating temporarily the following year, and the newspapers began to follow Fun work much more closely as she was the most passionate and visible mover and shaker in their country. She next set her sights on colonialism and how it was impacting Nigeria. Funmalayo was selected as the only woman to travel to England to protest a proposed Nigerian constitution on behalf of the National Council of Nigeria and the Cameroons. As this was a great opportunity to advance her cause, she lectured at many organizations, both government and private, about the issues that women in Nigeria were facing. An article that she wrote for the Daily Worker newspaper about how colonialism was hurting Nigerian women got a lot of backlash from the Brits. But regardless, she was chosen to represent Abiyokuta at a Western provinces conference in Nigeria the next year, and once again, she was the only woman there. She continued to discuss the systemic disenfranchisement of women and the need to abolish indirect rule in Nigeria. That same year, she suggested starting a Nigerian women's union to combat gender inequality, and it was formed, with the AWU becoming the Abiokuta branch. She would spend the next few years traveling around Nigeria setting up branches. In the early 1950s, she was granted a Nigerian chieftaincy title with the Western House of Chiefs, putting her in charge of the Yoruba people. She was the first woman in the history of the Western House of Chiefs. This period of her life was a bittersweet one as Israel died on the 6th of April, 1955, from prostate cancer. Funmalayo felt a bit of doubt as she had struggled the last few years with whether or not to abandon her political work and spend more time with Israel during his illness. But she doubled down on her work now, intent that all this would not be for nothing, and she began to invest in the development of schools throughout Nigeria and started to travel extensively. She joined forces with the women's organizations in Ghana, Egypt, and Algeria, and she made powerful allies in China and throughout Europe as well. Her visit to China and subsequent meeting with Mao Zedong raised a few eyebrows in England and the U.S., where politicians were beginning to murmur about communist sympathies. Funmilayo was much more of a socialist, even calling herself an African socialist. And while she was not a communist, she did concede that she did not find communism frightening. England and the U.S. did not feel the same way, evidently, as her passport renewal was denied the next year, as well as her request for a visa to attend a women's rights conference in the U.S. And it wasn't until 1960, when Nigeria gained its independence, that she was finally given a passport once again. Nigerian independence was fractious. On one hand, the country introduced universal suffrage for all men and women, but the Muslim regions, mostly in the northern area, refused to allow women to vote until they were forced by a military decree 16 years later. There was no clear path forward, and politicians argued endlessly about the future of the country. All the infighting and the lack of social progress led to a coup in 1966. Funmilayo was supportive of this as she felt the government was corrupt and ineffective, but she condemned the bloodbath that was the counter-coup later that year. The late 60s saw her beginning to gain recognition for her life of service to her country, as she was honored with membership in the Order of the Niger, as well as the Lenin Peace Prize and an honorary doctorate and a consultancy to the Federal Minister of Education. During this time, she briefly went by Aniko Lupa Kuti, which can be translated to Hunter Who Carries Death in a Pouch, or warrior who carries strong protection. In the early 70s, the new government began to turn a skeptical eye towards her and her son Fila. Fila was a nightclub owner and a musician and an outspoken critic of the Nigerian government. He was thrown in prison for his beliefs and his home and his business were raided frequently. Fila turned his property into a commune called the Kalakuta Republic, which was a safe haven for his political friends who needed to escape military authority abuse. In the winter of 1974, the police raided his nightclub using tear gas and axes, and Fila was injured. In retaliation, he released an album called Zombie, in which he compared the military to mindless killing machines. And that was the last straw for the government. On February 18, 1977, Funmilayo visited Fila at his home. While they were inside talking, 1,000 armed soldiers surrounded the house. A signal was given and the 1,000 men smashed their way in through doors and windows, destroying every item in the house and savagely beating every person there. The 77-year-old Funmalayo ran upstairs to escape them, but one of the soldiers cornered her in a bedroom and threw her out of a second-story window onto the concrete below. She fell into a coma and never awoke. On April 13, 1978, her heart finally stopped. She was buried alongside her husband, Israel, at a funeral attended by thousands. Shops and markets across the city closed for the day of her funeral as the countless people she fought for flocked to see their hero being laid to rest. On the one-year anniversary of her death, Fila left a coffin at the gate of the Nigerian Supreme Military Headquarters. In 2012, the Nigerian government proposed putting her face on a currency note, but her grandson, Seyun pointed out that this was asinine, as they were the ones who killed her in the first place and had never even apologized to the family. When pressed, the government said that she had been attacked by 1,000 unknown soldiers. To date, Chief Funmilayo Ransom Kuti is a beloved and iconic figure of gender equality and activism in Nigeria. Her biographer, Cheryl Johnson Odimino, said no other Nigerian woman of her time ranked as such a national figure or had such international exposure and connections. She was an icon among icons, and it was such a pleasure learning about her, and I hope that you enjoyed learning about her too. My sources today were Wikipedia, UNESCO, and Al Jazeera. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of the Lioness of Lizabi, Chief Funmalayo kuti Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of Tennessee Claflin, the first woman to found a Wall Street brokerage firm. See you then.